You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. Friends, I am so excited to be working with my friends at Clona Willy. They are an amazing, amazing company. They are do-it-yourself or dildo-it-yourself molding kit company where you can create your own mold of a penis or mold of a vulva so you can create your own sex toy at home that's really really cool and i think it's really really accessible for a lot of folks too their they their materials are ethically sourced they're really 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 awesome they're always there to help i'm so excited about this company and i love that i still get to work with them so if you want to create your own pussy or penis mold at home so you can create your own sex toy if you go if you go to clonawilly.com and use the code darkpod20 at checkout you can get 20% off everything site-wide they also have a penis pump for those of you that might be interested which you can get at 20% off if you use the code darkpod20 right now at checkout i really really love this company and I really, really love everything they're trying to do. So if you want to create your own do-it-yourself molding kit to create your own pussy or penis mold, please go to clonawilly.com and use code DARKPOD20 at checkout. Thanks, friends. Bye. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am your deliciously disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get today started, shall we? Friends, I want to just remind you that if you want to support the show, you can do that in one of two ways. The first way you can do that is by going wherever you get your podcasts and leaving us a five-star review. Tell us why this show is important for you. Tell us why you listen every week. Tell us why you like the show. We're almost 350 episodes in, and I couldn't do this without you. So I would love it if you could leave us a review as to why the show is important, because shows like this around disability don't get a lot of traction, and I would appreciate and love your support. So if you're able to, please leave us a five-star review, or not, but I would appreciate it if you did. Thanks, friends. The other way you can support us, of course, is by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. And when you go there, that's our Patreon for the show. And you'll get the show a couple days early if I can get the editing done and completely ad-free. And for your pledge, you can pledge to as little as $1 a month or up to $5 a month or more if that works for your budget. There's also a yearly amount if you'd like to pledge. I would really appreciate that too because I make this show from my bedroom so if you want me to keep the bedroom lights on on this show and keep the bright light shining on disability, your help would be appreciated. Only if you're able to, patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. And for your pledge, you'll get a shout out on the air. So it'll be something like, hey, Andrew, you're the Mandrew. Thanks for your pledge. It'll probably be equally that horrible. Uh, but if you want to hear your name shouted out, I would love your support. If you're able to, again, patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. But enough of my rambling. Let's get to the show. 
One of the things that I love doing on the show is bringing back old friends of mine and people that have been on the show before and just saying, hey, how are you? How's your life? And on the show today, I get to sit down with my friend Malachi Strong. They were on the show back for episode 212, and they reached out to me recently, and they said, he said, you know, I love the show, but I didn't feel very confident when I was doing that show, and I wanted, I want to come back because I have a renewed sense of confidence. And I was like, of course, I'd love to have you back, of course. So on this episode, I sit down with my friend Malachi Strong, and we reintroduce you to Malachi Strong in this episode. And Malachi talks about his experience being black, disabled, trans, living with CP. We talk about all those things and so much more. Um, we talk about his book. He's written a book, which you should all, um, which you should all purchase right now. He's written a book called Super Me, where he talks about his journey and he kind of describes it as a journal of his thoughts about being black, disabled, trans, and just having living his life and a journal of his experiences. We talk about all that plus so much more. Um, and we really, this this episode kind of went all over the place and didn't really have a set focus. I just wanted to give Malachi the chance to talk. One of the things we do talk about in this program is how we don't uplift black, disabled, queer, trans people enough and, and we don't give them chances to shine. And there's a lot of white privilege there. So we talk a little bit about that. And Malachi was just a fun, easygoing friend to have on the show, and I'm excited to reintroduce you to Malachi right here and right now. So I hope you enjoy this one. We kind of did this one off the cuff. There were no notes, and there was not a lot of like prep. We just got on the, we got on the horn and started chatting. So hope you enjoy this one right here on Disability After Dark with my new friend. Or no, my, my old friend, sorry, my, my, my old friend, Malachi Strong. Right here on Disability After Dark. Malachi Strong, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you. You this is a this is a reintroduction of you to the show because you were a guest I looked and it was like a hundred and some episodes ago. But then you emailed me recently and were like, yo. I want to come back on and I want to just like reintroduce myself and kind of do a do-over. And then I tried with the podcast gods to remove the old episode and it was like, no, not happening. So I'm excited to reintroduce you to the Disability After Dark audience and to have you back on the show. Such a pleasure. How how are things? Things are going good. Yeah. When I came on the first time, I feel like we were all going through some chaotic things with it being COVID. So I'm excited to be back and just um spend some time with you and your audience yeah and such a pleasure so for anybody who didn't listen to that first episode and you shouldn't because this is the one that we want to focus on so don't worry about that one if they didn't listen to that one can you reintroduce yourself to the audience tell us a little bit about who you are what you do my name is malachi strong i use he they pronouns and i am an msw grad student i do some public speaking and i'm a newly self-published author yeah, cool. So excited to I'm really excited about that because you have written a book and I'd love to hear tell me a little bit about yeah. that. So I this book is actually a combination of my journal that I kept during the pandemic. And I'm really excited about it because I feel like it gives an eye-opening look to um just struggles as someone that has many intersectionalities. And I really think it could also be helpful for those that serve us in this community. So healthcare workers, social workers, um, and just kind of giving that more personal account. Because sometimes I feel like services sort of miss the mark. So I hope by sharing some of what I went through during one of the most chaotic times in history um, will kind of make providers and other people within the community look at things a little differently. Can we, and that's awesome. Before I want to get back to the book for one second, but can we back up a little bit and can you just start, yeah. what are your disabilities and how do they play a role in your life? So I, um, I have cerebral palsy. Um, that's diagnosed, but I also feel like I have a little bit of fibromyalgia, but I think because 
some of the spasms and things are similar, it kind of gets thrown under the same umbrella. Yeah. So you have CP with a sprinkling, we'll call it a sprinkling, a sprinkling of fibromyalgia then? Yeah, that, I like that. That's, that's fun for you. That's, so that's a little sprinkle, a little sprinkle of fibromyalgia. That's so fun for you. Um, and for people, because this is an audio podcast, for people who don't know, you are a black um, trans man? Yes. Awesome. Can you? And I, um, so I also have, I guess just to describe like how I look today, um, I have kind of medium length dreads. Um, I'm behind like a white background um, that has like my logo in the back. And I have on like a dark blue and light blue shirt today. Awesome. Thank you for that that fit check and then description. I will do mine as well because I always forget. So thank you for the reminder. I'm a white, disabled, non-binary person sitting in a wheelchair. And behind me is a picture my brother drew of me as Professor X. And uh, that's me. Um, but back to you. So I'm, I I want to go into more into your book in a second because I think it's important. But I think that it's really important for a second that we talk about the intersections that you hold being a black trans masculine person. I think that's such an important intersection because we don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about trans issues in terms of disability way enough. And I think the fact that you are so open about this and, and it's a journey of yours is, and I'm not saying this to glorify it on the podcast. I just think it's important to, Put that out there. I'd love for you to share a little bit of that journey with us. Yeah, so I describe myself as being Black, trans, gay. Like, I feel like I check all of the boxes. And it's really been one of those things where figuring out, like, how to be okay with that. Because I kind of already realized I have all of these things that impact day to day, even though they really shouldn't. Like, you know, even with having CP and meeting like caregivers, you know, having to disclose, you know, being trans and sort of how that impacts personal needs. So I think for me, it's really been about embracing all of those different parts of myself because they do make me who they who who I am, but it it can be challenging in terms of services and getting needs met at the same time. Yeah, I fully understand that as somebody who needs care. I'm a non-binary person, so I, I, I read as a man, but I don't always see myself that way. And I read as masculine, quote unquote, but I don't always, always see myself that way. And I know, you know, I have the privilege of being cis. So, um, but even that, having to explain my care needs as a queer disabled person right really really it's hard it can be it's a a delicate dance and i can imagine for you needing that an elevated amount of care and and complex care trying to explain your or having to feel like you need to explain your gender expression to somebody with this providing care is probably really annoying it is but sometimes I feel like because of my disability and my daily challenges that I I don't get the opportunity to necessarily be like self in a lot of ways um, because some of those things really impact like my basic care needs. So if I don't disclose this, it could be a danger. But if I disclose it to someone that may not be you know, an ally, so to speak, then that can be dangerous. So it's really like a tightrope of like which danger matters in this moment and like am I okay enough if this risk doesn't work out, you know, the way that yeah. I thought it might. Yeah. And I can imagine like well, I know from just being queer how hard it is to be to disclose. And like my all my workers know that I'm queer. Like I have pictures of like dudes butts in my room. I I have like they know I'm queer, but like I, it's hard to 
find that piece of yourself and be comfortable with that when someone's constantly coming at it and at it in and out of your house to help you with everything. Yeah, and it it can be hard because sometimes I feel like I have to do it not by choice, you know. So it's kind of coming to the terms of like this is just a part of what I have to deal with, and so getting that quote unquote tough skin about it can be that can be a journey within itself. Yeah, and I you know that tough skin is not something I don't think like people always say disabled people are tough. We deal with a lot. We don't want to have tough skin all the time. Sometimes you want to be a, a soft, like, delicate flower and and feel all your emotions and talk about that. And, like, I get really frustrated when people are like, oh, yeah, you're so strong. I'm like, yeah, I'm strong, but I don't wish I didn't have and to. And I get, you know, that a lot. And people will try to play, you know, off my last name and that sort of thing. It's like, these are things I already know, but I still have these moments where... I don't feel capable of being strong or the challenge is just a lot. And I'm it's okay that I don't feel my best in this challenge. Yeah. Um what are what are some of the challenges for you other than like care, but just being a black trans disabled person in the world? Like what is what are some of the things that we that you wish we understood that we don't? Um, I think you touched a little bit on it earlier when you talked about emotions and like throwing it was okay to not be strong and kind of show that soft part. And I am a huge believer in like mental health and how that has really been at the center of my entire journey. Um, but it was really hard for me to sometimes know that it was okay to show my emotions or feel certain things because I was transitioning during one of the most challenging times. And so there was like a mental health impact from that angle. And then we had like a lot of things going on at the beginning, you know, with all the riots and things. So I really, and I would feel like, am I enough to feel, you know, angry that this is happening? Or do I really get to be mad, you know, that people are dying every day? So it was, like, really coming to terms with being a Black man who it was okay to be angry. It was okay to feel frustrated, and I didn't have to be strong because that's what society sometimes expects. I think especially for Black men, it's just... You just kind of do what you have to do and you don't focus on how you feel about things. And I think for me, this journey has been about not only me understanding myself, but like how my emotions impact my day to day and how can, you know, because my disability is not changing, but the way that I can deal with the emotions that come up is that's going to help me more than anything. Yeah. And I think that, I think all the things you touch on, I, I like it sparks so many conversation points. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you talk about my disability is not changing. That's, that's, that's a statement by itself. And that's a terrifying thing to, for, I think for a lot of us with CP to kind of come, come to terms with, it's not changing. We're not going to miraculously be better. We're not going to be, you know, for the most part, realistically, for a lot of us with CP, our disabilities will not get worse, but they'll get, they'll change as we age and they'll change. Yeah, things will get harder, you know. Yeah, and I, you know, as we're recording this, you know, I'm I'm about four, four months to 40, basically, which feels, which makes me feel really old. But, you know, as I near, like, this big milestone, I'm like, oh, fuck, well, how is my disability going to, like, change in the next decade? How is it going to be different? How is it going to... Like, and that's scary. And I think the emotions around that and the emotions around that we as disabled people with congenital disabilities are never going to get out of this disabled body. That's hard to navigate, at least for me. Yeah. And it it can be sort of shocking at times because we know that, but sometimes things will happen and it's like, it kind of really hits you in the face and it's like, okay, well, 
you know, this is like another thing that I have to navigate. And sometimes that could be very impactful on mental health itself, you know, because it's just like, well, yeah, I know that and I know these are the challenges, but it still kind of sucks, you know? And it, you're like, okay, well, are people really understanding? And then you see things that are happening still from the results of COVID and those sort of things. So, Or just our lack of COVID consciousness. Like, we're four yeah. years of this bloody thing and, like, we still don't wear masks and we still don't, like, no one cares. And, like, for, you know, for us as as people who... We're on the CDC list of people who, if we get COVID, yeah. it's probably going to be worse. And, like, so that's, I had it once last year. It was terrifying. I never wanted it again. But I want to say. I had it, too. And, yeah, it was terrifying. So. Yeah, it's so scary. I just want to say, like, wear your fucking masks. But especially for those of us who are marginalized. Still, in 2024, wear a mask, please. Um, yeah. There's something you said just now that made me think about. Something I was gonna ask you, and then I forget. <laughs> no, it's like it's like cough all over the mic. Now I forget what I was gonna say to you. Um, you you talk a lot about emotions. Um, how do you and mental health? And you have so far in the, in the last like ten minutes. How do you navigate? Because there are so few services for people with disabilities experiencing mental health, and there's so few care providers who understand what the fuck ableism is and who understand how to talk about that. How do you navigate your mental health as a, as a trans black disabled person trying to do things? So I, one of the things that I did before I chose to medically transition was I did research looking for a therapist and I I knew that I had to do it differently than I had done in the past because this was going to be my 44th therapist. And so I was like, how? Yeah. 44? Wow. Okay. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It was just different things. Like I would try a certain therapist and I just felt like... Not only did they not get it, but it was like they didn't know. Because I, I think it's okay to not fully understand. But I think I just needed a therapist that could, like, meet me where I was. Yeah. And realize, like, you can't change, like, the disability or anything. But, like, there are still emotions around that. Yeah. And so, like, that, you know, I need the support in that way. So one of the things that I did was I researched the therapist and I just decided that I was going to go, I was going to be honest with them, but I was going to go and I was just going to do it out of pocket because one of the things that I noticed was that when you deal with like insurance providers, you know, they give you a set list and it's like you're out of luck if you don't connect with any of them like if I try everyone on that list then it's like okay these are my only options so for me I think there's power in choice being able to choose who your provider is Um, and I think it also gives more time and space to really get to like know them and know that it's a right fit and I feel like sometimes with insurance providers specifically if you're on like Medicaid or anything like that, you know, they give you a set number of visits. So you kind of feel rushed. Trapped. Yeah. Yeah. To get to what you want to. And so I met with this therapist and I explained my situation. And so I think that was the number one thing was just being able to research and choose and then letting them know that history. Like, you know, I'm doing this because I know I need the help, but here are my past experiences. So we had to really work through like what what I didn't like in the other therapeutic relationships so that I could get to a point of trusting them to meet me where I was. And so it's really been a journey of just telling myself I'm going to do it differently 
and I deserve access to support my mental health. Now, it's not fun having to pay for it out of pocket, but I also feel like I have power in that. And it kind of gives me a sense of more independence, which a lot of us in the disability community, we kind of struggle to find ways to do that. So that I think that's how I've been able to navigate it. It's just choosing to choosing myself. Um, I like that you chose yourself. I, I like to me that's the overarching thing. I like that. Um, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned independence, and we can't talk about disability without talking about independence because it's always yes. it's always tied to each other. But I have weird feelings about independence. I don't love it. I don't always feel like I like the way that it's kind of foisted on us. Um, I feel like I'm interdependent. I and I feel like we all are interdependent in some way and that we have to like rely on other people. How do you, you know, in the work that you do and in just your life, how do you feel about the the way independence has been used in the disability community? I think independence can put a lot of pressure um, because the way that society may say that independence is, it may not work for us in the disability community. Yeah. So coming to terms with what are the things that I can do, like, for myself and how can I continue to support this, like, hey, I did this thing for myself and, like, that's good, but also knowing, like, it's okay that I need to ask, like, hey, can you help me open this? And so in some ways, I feel like it's just about accepting and coming to terms with the things that we can and then realizing that, like, hey, at least we have the support and I'm really good at asking for things that I need because I have, have practiced in doing that. Yeah. And I feel like some people in the able-bodied community, they maybe don't have that strength. So sometimes I just try to look at it more like a power rather than I'm less than because I can't or I'm more than because I can't. It's just like we're all trying to figure it out. Yeah, and I think not only in the able-bodied community, I think in the disabled community too, I see a lot of like, oh, no excuses, I can do this, blah, blah. And I'm always like, oh, okay, well, this is this is like toxic independence behavior bullshit. I hate it. It makes me so frustrated because it's like, well, if you can't, that doesn't mean you're less than. It just means you can't. Right. It just means I need help to do that. And I, I do agree. I think it's very... Sometimes I will see those memes or the inspirational stuff, and it's just like, no, like some of us are doing good just to get some out. Some of us are like good. severely disabled and can't fucking feed ourselves, but we're still valuable. Like, like yeah, well, it doesn't make them less who they are. They're still a bright spot, yeah, regardless of their abilities due to something that is like not even our fault. At the end of the day, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, we didn't, it's not like we chose you be in the situations that a lot of us are in like i'm always like i'm always like you know even if you're not a paralympian you're still valuable like yeah like if you are a paralympian you're also valuable like both of you have value it's all right um how do you feel about one of the things i want to ask you how did you feel like you mentioned like you wanted to put this stuff down in a book I'm writing a book right now and I know how fucking hard it is. So I applaud you and I commend you because it's really hard. It what is. It like for you to tell me the title of the book so people can like go and, and pre-order. Is it, is it in pre-order now or is it out? It's out. You can um, purchase it on my website directly or you can go through Amazon or um, Barnes and Noble. Which and way do we called... get more money to you? Directly through my website. So... Everybody listening, don't go to don't go to the big ones. Go right to Malachi's website, which I'll put in the show notes. Don't worry, it'll be it'll be there. Buy the book. So tell us anyway. Sorry, I cut you off. Tell us about all that. It's called um, Super Me, um, becoming my own hero through change, chaos, and choosing to love myself. Um, and it is, I basically took my journal that I kept over the last couple of years. And I just started to tell my story through, like, 
all of the emotions that I was feeling while all of this was going on and what it was like to transition, go through top surgery, like do all of these different things and like what it was frustrating to like find surgeons and I I was really vulnerable during it because sometimes I feel like it takes that for people to be like, oh, maybe I should look at this. Yeah. From a different yeah. lens. Um, but it was really hard. I mean, there there were parts where I was like, I don't know. You know, I would sit on it for a while. Um, and I also started going to grad school in the middle of it. So I had like a lot going on. And then there was COVID and so for myself. Um, but I was able to work with like a book coach and so they were able to kind of give me um, just sort of support through it all. It was because there were some moments where I was like, I, I don't really know if it worked it, but I also knew that it had always been my dream, and I was just like, why not? You know, so yeah, when I saw you were promoting it because I saw it on social media, I was so happy because it was like, I know Malachi, and I remember when, when we first had started getting to know each other, like how unsure you were of yourself a little bit, and so to see yeah. you be like, Hey, look, I wrote a book. I was like, this is, you know, and also because like, I'll be honest, unfortunately, disability is too white, too freaking white. And it's really annoying. And I say this as a, as a white person, it's too white. And like, we need that intersectionality. And when I saw that you had written something, I was like, thank God. It's about like, we need more of this. Yes. I was so happy because like, yeah, I can write all the same things. And you know what? The sad thing is that because I'm a because I have white privilege, people may look at something I write and go, Oh yeah, what Andrew wrote so great. And then you could write the same thing and they go, Oh yeah, that's okay. And so like I think it's so important that like you put it out there because because we need it. You know, and there was a part of me that I was afraid I wasn't going to sell a copy. Um because I knew I was like, you know, there are other people within the community, you know, like you said, someone else of a different race could write the same thing. Um, but then I just decided that like I had something to say. And I was like, I can't be responsible for the responses that I get. Um, and I think it challenges me to just be able to put myself out there and talk about it. Um and now that I'm starting to do a lot of a lot of different things, it's it's really kind of been like this moment of like a huge achievement, especially yeah. when I think about teachers that in the past that said I couldn't read, you know, above like a seventh grade level. Or, you know, I never, like, go to a major university. Um, and now, like, I'm in grad school. So, you know, it's sort of... the nice little I, fuck you to all those people mm-hmm. that said you couldn't do it. It's a nice yeah, life. so it's like I've done all of these things and I've done this, you know. So yeah. at the end of the day, regardless of what people say, I can still be really very proud of something that I was able to put out. What do you want non-disabled folks and maybe non-trans folks in the communities that you're a part of so like queer communities what do you what is something you wish they understood because i know for me as a queer disabled person it's so fucking hard to be part of these communities i love our communities so much but also like fuck off it's so difficult to be to find a partner to find hookups to find dates to like find community it's so difficult it really is difficult because, you know, it's it's like, do I share this about myself? Are people only talking to me because, like, I'm in the chair? And so you have to, it's like, choose which battle you want to fight. Like, if I disclose this and then they later find out about the wheelchair, are they only going to be talking to me because of that? And, you know, I dated someone for a while and you know we and I talked a little bit about it in my book and we uh both have disabilities and so in different ways and even just navigating things like that 
Um, I over the last, I'd say year and a half or two, I've become like more, much more confident in being just unapologetically who I am. But I do yeah. think like dating and just meeting people and friends is it, so hard as someone that like you know because it's like yeah I can disclose being disabled but then I have to think about the trans part of it so it's just like is it and then really you have to think about, like, yeah. you have to think about all, like, all, of, all it. of it but yeah. also like then you have to think about oh if we go on a date I need help and we if we do this I need gonna ask have to ask for this like there's so many layers of like that's why I don't date much anymore because fuck it's too hard. Like I don't want to have to ask you to feed me my burger. I don't want to have yeah. to ask you for help with the drink. Like I'll do it, but it's not fun. It doesn't feel good. At some point, you just get to it where you're like, I I think I'm okay just being by myself because it, yeah. it's you, less you have to explain. Have you, um, have and you we should that place not. I feel like I have because it, it just, like you said, it's so much work and. I think trust, there has to be such a high level of trust, I feel like. Yeah. Specifically when you're when you're dating and you're part of the disability community because there are so many things that could happen that'll put us in more dangerous situations. Yeah. That it almost just becomes exhausting by the time you're like, okay, I don't even want to do this anymore. Like it's not it it's becomes not safe not or fun. fun. Yeah. Like I think about all the times I think about how many times in my twenties I almost like put myself in a really unsafe situation because I was like, gotta get laid, gotta have sex, gotta mm-hmm. do the thing. And I look back on it now at 40 and go, What are you doing? Like you're so so unsafe. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. And I, I think I kind of went through that kind of like over the last couple of years and now it's just like, okay, no. You know, but I think we all have to experience things in our own ways and kind of, like, figure it out and get to those points ourselves. Yeah. So I don't, like, it is hard to look back at, but at the same time, like, it's also, it's made my journey what it is, so I, like, don't necessarily regret it. Yeah, me neither, but I just look back, I look back with wiser eyes and I go, what were you, how did you... How did you survive that without somebody being really like unsafe to you? So back to the larger question, if you could talk to non-disabled and non-trans people in our community who maybe need to, who maybe want an education or want to learn, and again, not your not your like obligation to educate them, but if you could tell them something so that they could open up to us as community members, what do you wish they knew? One of the things that I like to say is think about, especially when you're interacting with someone, maybe in the trans community, think about the questions that you ask. And if you wouldn't feel comfortable with those things being asked of you, then it's probably not a thing to ask that person. Um, And I think we've got to get away from I think as a society we feel like we need to like know everything or be in the immediate know of a lot of things and sometimes I feel like that could be that kind of sets us up for a level of like disappointment because um there for example there was someone that made comments that I never show like my wheelchair like on my Instagram or things like that. And it's well, you don't know like what my pain level is like when yeah. I'm doing certain things or you know, so just be mindful of And also and like you don't know my relationship when you're sharing spaces with people because you don't know what influences them or how hard it was to even be able to share that space with you or spend time with you like you know I was talking to um the lady that does my hair recently and she was just very overwhelmed because she didn't know that I literally have to get up at like 5 a.m to get to her by 9 a.m and she was like some people 
like they don't even do what they have to do to get to work and just know what you do to just get the most simplest thing for your hair yeah like she was just very overwhelmed by that so i think having a more respect for people and realizing that you don't have to know everything and there doesn't have to be and you don't deserve to know everything you know it's not for someone to do something yeah like it's no you're not entitled to know how long it took Malaga to get there there, leave him alone. Like you know, yeah. you know why he's not showing his wheelchair. He chose not to leave him like a, <laughs> I think I agree with you a bit about that. Um, how now? I'm curious because I'm gonna. I don't know, and I'd love to learn from you. Um, how do you feel that the black community has embraced your both your disability and your transness in your experience? So. That has been a challenge for me. Um, one of the things that I really struggled with was not feeling like I really belonged in the Black community, um, knowing that I I grew up in the South, so it was, you know, very religious and sort of that sort of thing. So growing up, like, in the church and all of that, and then realizing, like, who I am and what this meant, it caused a lot of turmoil for me because I was just like, okay, well, I this was ingrained in me, but my mind and body, like this is this is who I am. So how do I navigate that? And I I really struggled a lot during the pandemic because we had, you know, black people dying left and right. And it, yeah. I would experience anger, but then I would feel like I didn't have a, a right to experience that. Um, and so for me, over the last, I'd say, year or so, I've connected with some people that are both in the Black community and a part of the LGBT community um, that has really helped me to feel like I kind of still have a seat at the table, you know, and one of the most the eye-opening experiences for me is that I was invited on a panel um, not too long after I was on your show the first time and we're talking and as they're sharing their experiences I was like I kind of feel like I don't fit in this space or I didn't have like an answer you know that was similar that, that they might understand and just realizing because my Black experience may be different, it doesn't make me less of a Black person. So really yeah. having to come, not try to compare myself to experiences, but just realizing whether I experienced it this way or not, it doesn't take away from what I did experience. And so um, I would say that's probably been one of my biggest challenges, but at the same time, uh, I'm now just getting to the point where it's like, I don't have to be like this person or that person. I can just exist in the ways that are me. Yeah, I mean, that's so... I think that comparison for a lot of us with disabilities, oh my God, I think we all have tall poppy syndrome in the disability community. We all want to be top of the pot, like the best one. And it's like, no, you just be one. Just be yourself. Whatever that looks like, that's great for you. Um, but I know how hard it is to 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 feel like you have to compare or to, to do certain output or to do certain like. I know you and I did a panel together, and I was so nervous because I felt like I didn't match up to the things you you had done, and so like you know, and I think that's also something to talk about. It happens within our own community yeah. too, and um. I wish we talked more about it because I think sometimes it can put a lot of pressure on people to feel like, hey, well, I'm not like that person or um, I didn't have that experience or mine was a little different. So, yeah. Yeah, or like I didn't get that opportunity. And so, like, I remember the panel we did together and I remember how nervous you were. And I remember, like, for <laughs> me, I've been doing this so long now. It's been 12 years I've been doing this. So I just, like, I just, I did it. It was rote for me. It was like, but I value kind of stepping aside and letting, once I let my ego go and that took a while and it's taken a while and it's still 
something I'm working through. Once I like let my ego of like, oh, I have to be this disabled guy. Once I let that go, and I'm like, you know what? This person needs to shine. I can help them do that. Or I can, you know, let them have their moment. Like, who needs another disabled white guy telling them they're a disabled white guy? It's <laughs> We have enough of those. Like, so I am trying really hard to just, you know what? My story is important. Yeah. But I want to use my voice to uplift others because that's more fulfilling than like getting all the accolades for myself. I want all of us to win. Yeah. And I think we, we have to win collectively because it almost is sometimes it feels like society doesn't care. So it's like, if you don't, we're just going to work together and figure this out for ourselves. Cause that's what we've been doing. Like yeah, this whole time. But, and you know, something that I'm working through within myself is how has white privilege allowed me to do what I do? How has white privilege, like, you know, kept me going while it's, well, it has made other people that are doing the same thing not have the same platform. So I try really hard to like, to look at that and think I got some work to do. And I always tell myself, you have work to do here to not to like constantly be reminded. Yeah, you have a platform, but if someone else, like, that's why I love that you're like, fucking, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do it. Cause like nobody was going to do it for you. And so you're just like, I'm going to do it. I have, I want to put this out there. And I think your story is so valuable because it isn't heard as much. It's not given a proper platform. Like, and I think that like, you know, black disabled people, they're there and we know they're there, but we don't give them a, a fucking platform. And that's pisses me off. Like it's angers me when I think about it. Cause like, why not? Why not? Yeah. And then, I think to it almost is like there's like a fear and I don't understand the fear but it's like why what about those of us in the black community sharing our stories how does it hurt anyone yeah and why are you make why are you making it a personal affront against you yes. if a black disabled yeah. person is saying they've been hurt or they've experienced racism or they've experienced ableism or they've experience all those things together you know what they have so shut up and let them tell you the story yeah it's just like and also you can't speak for other people so just you know I, i've shared stories of my own experiences and people be like oh well did that really happen and it's like well do you think i would like i don't have time to just yeah i literally don't think. have the time or the energy to lie to you like why would i do that yeah so it, i think too just realizing a lot of us in the disability community, we don't have time for extra stuff. Like so much of our energy and like the things that we have capacity for are just to be able to like function day to day. Yeah. Oh no, I get it. I fully understand that. Um, one of the things you said in your book, or no, you said on the book cover that I've seen so far. I'm gonna read the book soon. I haven't yet, but I will, and you should all go buy it now at <laughs> at at near the website, which I'll put in the show notes after. And I'll, get, I'll let you promote yourself in a second. But um, you said, you know, learning to be your own hero. So many of us in disability discourse, when we talk about disability, everybody calls us superheroes. Everybody says we're like superhuman and super strong and all these things. How do you feel about those comparisons for yourself? For me, I that is some of the way that I have use my own journey um, because there have been instances where, you know, I was almost put in boarding care um, due to lack of care. And a lot of time during COVID, I didn't have care. And I always had to figure out a way to save myself. Um, and so that's why I feel like I have been my own hero because it started really young. Like I, I've always just had to show up for myself in the best ways that I could and do it my way. Um, do you find that exhausting? Do you find like, there's, like, cause I get it. I'm right there with you. You got to show up for yourself and do it for yourself. And like, the reason I have a job is cause I made one for myself. And the reason that I work is cause I made a job for myself. And like the reason that I have a platform is cause I, I built it myself. And like, 
but you talked a second ago about like you know you you've almost been in boarding care you almost had had issues with getting care like that's that is and i know because i've been there myself that's exhausting isn't it tiring for you yeah Yeah, it is exhausting and i have my days i think we all do um and it's you know another reason that i'm very thankful for having a therapist uh that will let me sort of take that mask off so to speak because you know sometimes you know they say we're strong and inspirational and those sort of things and sometimes we're kind of put in positions where we have to be um, because you know I always say like institutions or whatever they're calling and you know I always feel like I have to sort of be extra strong sometimes to advocate for this or fight for this so I don't face this issue um but sometimes that could be a mask because I could be you know feeling very depressed otherwise yeah I still have to show up and so for me it's just been um it's exhausting it can be depressing um it has also been hard for me because I don't know many with like my exact disability and although they affect us all differently I think sometimes that community could be helpful um because yeah. some days it's just hard and I feel like unless you're talking to someone that may have experienced something very similar no one's really gonna get it yeah so yeah. my friends who are listening with CP right now uh I'll put Malachi's stuff in the show notes and reach out because because I mean CP is out there I know you're out there you know, we should start like a support group or something, right? CP support. I'm here for that. I'll, I like that idea. That's a great idea because I, I do think CP, unlike other disabilities, it's neurodiverse, it's congenital, it's you know, it's a very unique umbrella of things. And there's a lot of there's a lot of like groups that do research for the cute kids with CP, but there's no like that's the thing. I feel like as adults, we're kind of just left out. Like, yeah. if you Google CP or anything about it, you usually see, like, kids or adults, yes. in which I get, you know, and understand, but you kind of forget, like, once we get past, you know, 18, 19, it's like we're just out there on our own. So With no support, and there's no resources for us, and there's no, like, hey, you might be 18, and you want to have sex. What are you doing? And you have CP, what do you do? Hey, <laughs> you might be 18 and CP enough, then be trans. What what are the what do you do? Hey, you might be yeah. eighteen and need to go see a dentist, and you have CP. What do you do? Like, there's nothing really out there for us, and that's a shame. It is, and it's hard because you're like, okay, well, um, you have services for eighteen and below or seventeen and below, but then like once we get to that point, it's like we're never gonna get to sixty five and older because we don't have services Proper for fucking those in the middle. Care. Yeah. We don't have like a dentist or like a, a therapist or like a, yeah, no, I agree with you. And we, you know, I, I saw a woman on the bus a couple of years ago who we were on the, the paratransit bus in Toronto and she was like, oh, I'm 74 and I have CP. And I literally was like, I stopped her and I was like, can, can we just talk for a minute? And she goes, oh yeah. And she's telling me stories about like 40 years ago, how different it was. And I was like, wow. I just was like. Oh my god, you, it's so important that I talk to you because I'm I never thought I would make it to 74 with CP. What? That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. It was pretty like I had literally we were on the bus and I like I was like, when we get off the bus, can I like hang out with you for a minute? Can we just chat for like a little bit? Because I was like, <laughs> wow, wow. It was really cool. But I agree. I think we need services for people with CP who are getting older. And I also think we need services for people with CP who are you know, exploring their gender and who are all, like, like, because most of CP is, you know, it is, it, that's also too white. You don't often see a lot of black disabled folks with CP out there or people of color with CP. They're there, but they're just not being highlighted. So I think we need right. specific resources for black disabled folks with CP, trans disabled folks with CP, um, queer disabled folks with CP. Uh, and we, we should we should we should talk about starting a little supporty thing and see see what happens there. Um, 
I'm totally open to that. That'd be awesome. That'd be it'd be really fun. I'd like to. We should definitely talk about it. Uh, mm-hmm. one of the things I want to ask you, Malachi, is what about your disability experience brings you disability joy? When I do something that people said I wouldn't be able to do, um, I think that brings me joy. Um, I think now that I have come out and been able to just live my life, I've been able to have moments where I don't where my disability can be like a second thought, you know, like if that's like, yeah, like going to a concert to see my favorite artist Who and not, it? you know, and just being able to say like, I need to be able to see and being able to explain that and like still getting to experience it and just not letting the challenges of getting in there and all of those things get in the way. And so sometimes I feel like those of us in the disability community, because we spend so much time and energy getting to things and preparing for things and like all the setup things that we don't get to like live in moments. And so it's been really important for me, even if it's just going outside or, you know, just doing like the smallest things and taking that moment of I'm just going to do this because it feels good, not because I need to think about when care is coming or like yeah when this is happening, I got this appointment next week. It's just in this moment, I'm going to do something that doesn't involve my disability as much. And I think that's what finding disabled joy has been about because like we've talked about, that thing isn't changing. So just having those moments where it doesn't feel so heavy. They may be few and far between, but I think like that has been my way of like finding disabled. And on the flip side of that, because I think it's important that we talk about it. First, I need to know, you said going to a concert to see your favorite artist. Who's your favorite artist? Duran Bernard. So I talk about him a lot, like on social media, but... I actually got to meet him. Um, I found him during the pandemic and he just literally saved me. Like I would watch his videos on YouTube and it was just something about him that didn't make me feel as alone. And I lost a lot of care during the pandemic. So being able to lean on those videos. Um, and then I found out like, maybe like a year or so later that he was going to be in LA, which wasn't far for me. And it was a journey. The bus broke down and all of these different things, but I still made it to the concert and we still kind of keep in contact. And it's just been, my disability has never been like the thing when I'm in that space. Um, And I, we don't get a lot of that. So I really hold on to being able to, you know, because I've seen him a, a couple other times since, and I've been able to go to those concerts and it just doesn't matter. The chair doesn't matter. Um, I, I feel like his concert was the first time that I like danced in my wheelchair. Cause usually I'm like, I can't dance. Like I'm not going to do that. And I kind of just, you know, kind of sit in the corner, but so you do, like, you do like one of the I don't like this, like, any of that. Then, like you're doing like the the weird arm thing that I this is mm-hmm. this is me dancing like Jerry can't see it but I'm doing it right now. Uh, so yeah, like this kind of thing. Yeah, just moving my arms and not thinking about oh, like my arm may hurt or you know it's just like in that moment I was just enjoying like the music. I didn't think about all the extra stuff and I feel like. In the disability community, we don't get a lot of those moments where the disability is not the first thing we think about. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I love sitting down with you. It's so fun. I I have no more questions in my brain space right now. Do you have uh, anything else that you want to talk about that we didn't touch on? 
No, I think um, today has been fun. Uh, it's been really fun to just like reconnect and talk yeah. and it was so. such a, I was so happy when you reached out and said you want to do this. I'm so glad we did. Um, you, I'm so, knowing where you came from when we first met, like about a year and a half ago, two years ago now, I can't remember, it was a while ago, but, but like seeing that you've written a book and that you're out there doing it, I, I gotta say like, thank you for the work you're doing. It's so necessary. Um, and I, I just am, I'm so happy for you that it's, that this is the path you're on. Um, can you plug your book one more time and tell everybody where to go to get it? So it's called um, Super Me, Becoming My Own Hero Through Change, Chaos, and Choosing to Love Myself. You can find it on my website, which is Strong Willed. Um, willed is spelled like willed from a chair, like a wheelchair, uh, .com slash shop. And you can find me on social media, both Instagram and Facebook at Malachi Strong. Awesome. I'll make sure that all of that stuff's in the show notes because I want to make sure that you, and please listeners, we all talk about how we want to uplift people. Please go buy this book, go, go and, and buy this book so that a Malachi can feed themselves and, and, <laughs> and, you know, he, he's writing it for the joy of it, but also he wants to feed himself. So buy the book. Um, Just thank you for putting it out there. We need more stories. We need more intersectionality that is truly intersectional. Um, And I, you're just such a joy to talk to. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. I just thought the interview with Malachi was so powerful. And there were so moments when he said, like, you know, I want, I wanted to be angry, but I feel like I didn't have the right to. Um, and I wanted, you know, finding joy in the fact that he didn't always have to think about his disability. There were so many points of the things he said that I thought were so powerful. And he talks about a lot of this in his book, which you can all purchase at his website. And I wanted to give that to you before I logged off today. So the website to purchase the book so that all the proceeds go to him is, is strongwheeled and strongwheeld.com. It's his website. I'll put it in the show notes there so you have it. But please go pick it up. It's so important and so necessary for black disabled people to be given a voice and to have their voices heard and to have a seat at the table, as Malachi said in the interview. I really appreciate that he wrote this book. Please go pick it up. Please support black disabled authors um, and, and support Malachi. Thanks for listening, friends. Here's the outro. Bye. Oh, yeah. Before I do the outro, before I do the outro, I would love for you to come on the show. I'm feeling better because my tummy is less painful than it was previously. So I don't feel as sick as I did for the last couple of years. So I have more energy and I want to use that energy to have you on the show. If you'd like to come on the show, please email me using the subject line Disability After Dark to Andrew at AndrewGerza.com and I would love to have you on the show. And here's our regular outro, and we'll see you next week, friends. Probably next week I'm going to do um, a Popcorn and Power Chairs. I just don't know what movie I'm going to do yet, but it'll come. So it might be it might be a classic film, or it might be something that I just found on the internet. So we'll see, but get ready for Popcorn and Power Chairs, friends. Bye! All right, friends. Well, there goes another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories with me, your host, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to my social media, Andrew Gerza 6 on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, although I never use it. If you want to follow my website and find out about my speaking opportunities, my gigs, and ways to have me come to your event, go to www.andrewgerza.com. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and you can get the show days early, completely ad-free, and a shout-out on the air. So if you want to support the show, you're able to do that. And please, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. It really does help shows like this about disability, which are very rare, get supported. Thank you so much for being with us, and stay comfy, cozy, and crippled. Until next time, bye!
copyright notice. Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co-Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2024